Uh, if you want to go ahead and pull up PowerPoint, we're going to continue this morning in our message on profiles and courage. But before we do, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this uh, time that you've given us today, chance to come together, Lord, just to be with family. Lord, let this be a day that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified in this place. Lord, uh, we thank you for the encouragement you give us in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the courage to stand up in faith and conviction for what it is you've called us to do. Lord, as we look into the profile of Elijah, Lord, that we would be encouraged by his courage. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, uh, we focused, our main focus, if you remember last week, was on Ahab and Jezebel. We talked about Ahab and Jezebel. We kind of talked about the backstory. Uh, how many remember what we talked about last week? We went into Ahab, Jezebel. We talked about the spirit of Jezebel, how it operates in the modern church today. Uh, and now I want to get back to, you know, we, we talked about what was happening now, but I want to get back to what was happening then. So, Ahab, the son of Omri. We talked about him. Ahab was the son of Omri, and he's the king of the northern region, which is called Israel. And more evil, the Bible says that he was more evil than any king that followed before him. He marries, of course, this woman named Jezebel, who through his own sin and her guidance, the land has become a place of worshiping idols, it's just filled with worshiping idols, the most influential of which are Baal and Asherah. We talked about the two idols of Baal and Asherah. Through this idol worship, we see all sorts of sexual perversion. We see even child sacrifice at one point, and God is done with it. This is what Israel has become, and God is done. He, and so he sends in Elijah. Now, if you'll stand with me, go to the first verse, and we're going to honor the reading of the word of the Lord. And it says this in 1 Kings 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. You may be seated. Here we are introduced to Elijah. We have no background on him. There's really no background on Elijah. We don't know who his parents are. We don't know what his background is. The only thing we know about his backstory is that he's a Tishbite, that he comes from the area known as Tishbe. He is an unknown. Other than knowing where he came from, there's nothing else we know about him. He shows up on the scene, and we just don't know. It's interesting that God uses unknowns. Do you ever wonder, you say, well, I don't know if, you know, I'm known. God is known for using unknowns. I think about unknowns. You know, God uses unknowns, but don't believe that just because you're not known now that God can't use you. I remember when I was in college. And, you know, I went to college, and some of these guys, they had, the, like, a spiritual pedigree. I mean, their, their dad was a pastor, and their granddaddy was a pastor, and his granddad before him was a pastor. And as soon as they got out of college, they were going to step right into ministry, and, and, boy, they had it going on. And if, and if their dad was a dad of a large, if they were of a large church, then, then they were kind of in the in crowd. 
And I wasn't. That wasn't me. It just wasn't. You know, my parents were Christians, but my grandfather didn't get saved until he was on his deathbed. My grandfather didn't become a Christian until he was on his deathbed. He was dying of cancer, and 88 minutes before he died, he gave his life to the Lord. And so I didn't have a pastor, and my granddad was a pastor, and his granddad, I didn't have this whole spiritual lineage. So in part, when I went to these places, I was unknown. Don't believe that because you're unknown, God can't use you. Don't believe that just because you maybe haven't been groomed for it, that God can't use you. You know, I never belonged to part of the in crowd in the church of those who were kind of being brought together to go out into ministry. My life in high school mainly consisted of failure. My life up through high school, it consisted of failure. And when I dropped out of high school, it confirmed what everybody already knew. That I was a nobody. That I was a loser. Truly, I don't know if anybody else has ever felt this way, where you just feel like you've done everything wrong in your life. I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but where, where you just feel like a screw-up. You just feel like you've messed up your entire life. That, that I was known by a few things. I was known as being tall and gangly. I used to be gangly. And a goofball. Hopefully I'm not gangly anymore, so I don't know. <laughs> but those, that's what I used to be known by. In, in my mind, I had the same thoughts as the people around me. How can God use me? I'm just an unknown. How can God use me? I'm a nobody. I'm a failure. He's just a loser with no future. How can God use me? That's what I used to think about. It's likely that David Hovinga will never do anything of any importance. Have you, ever, have you ever had people say that about you? Have you ever felt that way about yourself? It's likely that you will never do anything of any importance. In my mind, I had these thoughts. But how many know that God likes to use unknowns? God likes to use people who appear to be unqualified. God likes to use people who are messed up. They don't always speak with eloquence. I like to use that word eloquence because it, it, it carries my point. It, they don't always speak with eloquence. He doesn't always use the most handsome person, thank God. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't always use the most, uh, most athletic person. He, doesn't, you know, he, he likes to use messed up, unqualified, imperfect, failure, nobody, unknowns. Amen? I'm so glad God didn't want to use somebody perfect, because that's not me. Amen? How many perfect people we got here? Doug? <laughs> no? Mark? He's shaking his head, but he's shaking his head perfectly. <laughs> I like that God uses an unknown sometimes. He uses an unknown in Elijah the Tishbite. He's unknown. Just people just don't know who they are. You might feel unknown. You might feel like a somebody. But I want you to know something this morning. 
Just because you're unknown, just because you haven't been bred for ministry, just because you haven't been groomed, just because you don't have the pedigree, just because your, your daddy wasn't a preacher and your daddy the daddy before him wasn't a preacher and your granddaddy was a preacher, just because nobody in your family was a Christian, just because your father was a drunk and his grandfather was a drunk, just because there's drug abuse in your family and sexual abuse in your family, just because there's all these different things in your family doesn't mean God can't use you. Doesn't mean that God can't use you. You say, Pastor David, I'm so weak. I understand how that feels. You know what the Bible says? It says that his grace is sufficient for us. It says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I feel weak, when I feel inadequate, when I feel unqualified, yeah, you know what? His grace is sufficient for me. When I feel like I just can't do it anymore, when I feel like I'm going to fail again and again and again, guess what? I'm strengthened by the blood of God, by the blood of Christ. I may fall down, but his grace is sufficient. They didn't know who Elijah was in 1 Kings 16. They didn't know who he was in 1 Kings 16. But in 1 Kings 17, they're going to find out who he is. And I don't think they're going to be very happy about it. God has called Elijah as a prophet and directs him to confront Ahab. He's confronting Ahab for all the evil that's happening in Israel. So Elijah confronts him, gives him the word of the Lord, and then we see God direct him again. Now, remember the context of this, that he's going before the king of Israel. He's going before the king of Israel. This is not just some small thing where he goes and says, hey, yo, king, just want to give you a word. No, there's a good chance that he had to go through some protocol. There's a good chance he had to get through some guards. When he approaches the king, he approaches the king in a kingly way. But he approaches him not with, with respect, but also understanding the respect of the office, but also giving him the word of the Lord. That is so important. Knowing that him giving the word of the Lord could mean his death. So he gives him the word of the Lord, and then this happens. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, came to Elijah saying this, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed at the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. When he gave the word of the Lord, he said, there's not going to be any rain until I speak it. Ahab, there's evil in this land. There's idols in this land. There's not going to be any rain unless it comes by my word. He gives the word, and the Lord says, you need to go now. You need to go and go to this brook. There, ravens will feed you. Can you imagine being by a river, by this brook, Cherith, and all of a sudden you see birds in the air, and they're carrying bread and meat, and they start dropping it where you are. That's how God had provided for him. God directs him to hide, but he gives him protection and sends him provisions. Amen? See, God directs him where to go. It's estimated 
that Elijah is at this brook for about a year before it dries up. God then directs him to another place. He's at the brook. The birds are feeding him. The brook dries up, and God directs him to another place. Where does he direct him? He directs him to a widow. Go to the next slide. And it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, there was a widow there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of your bread in your hand. Go to the next slide. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in the bin and a little oil in the jar. And see, I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and we may die. This widow was in a desperate place. How many have ever been in a desperate place? How many have ever been in, a, I mean, really, a desperate place to where you're fighting to survive? This is where the widow is. She's there with her son, her husband has long since passed. And this prophet of God comes up to her and says, will you get me a cup of water? Now, a cup of water is not a huge deal, but it's sort of a big deal considering the whole land is in a drought. So he goes, she goes to get him a cup of water. And as she's going, he says, oh, by the way, could you please give me a morsel of bread? And now she has to explain to him. See, you don't understand, I'm gathering up sticks so that my son and I can eat what we have left and then die. This is all that we have. The point of going into the feeding of the birds, or by the birds, and going into the, the, the story of the widow is not just to tell what happened to Elijah. It is to let you know and to tell us that where God guides, he provides for you. Where God will guide you, he will provide for you. And so this happens. Go to the next, next scripture. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry. According to the word of the Lord, which was spoken by Elijah. I want you to think about this. She goes into the cupboard. She goes into the pantry. She goes to the barrel where the flour is. And she only has a few scoopfuls left to make a cake, make a piece of bread for her son and her to eat and die. And she goes and she scoops. And then she scoops again. And again. And again. And all of a sudden, what wasn't supposed to be there was there. 
Have you ever had God provide something for you supernaturally? You say, Pastor David, that's impossible. I don't know if you know who my God is then. You say, Pastor David, that's impossible. I mean, how can the bin of, of, of flour just fill up supernaturally? How can the oil just come up supernaturally? I mean, that's impossible. That's, that's not a fact. I mean, let's look at the facts, Pastor David. Here's the problem with facts. They can't argue with my experience. Facts, your facts can't argue with my experience. They just can't. When I was in college, I was studying for this, I was preparing for it, and I, I, something was brought back to my memory. When I was in college, I uh, had worked a job, and I was, I, was, I was one of those really poor college students where uh, it was Raymond noodles, like, every night. And it's just, it, it was okay. I mean, you, you find different ways to eat Raymond noodles. Every, how many ever eat Raymond noodles? Some people call them ramen. I call them Raymond. Uh, we'd, we'd, you know, boil them. We'd boil them and then fry them. We'd, we'd crush them up and eat them dry. It's like popcorn. We just, we figured out all sorts of different ways to eat Raymond noodles. And I just had no money. But I was trying to work. I was trying to do, do what I had to do in college. And I promise, and this is just what happened. I was driving and thinking, I'm at a half a tank of gas, and pretty soon I'm going to need to get gas, but I don't have any gas money. That's what I was thinking. And I thought, well, I could go ask for somebody for gas money. I go see if anybody has gas money, but let's see how it goes. That tank lasted for two weeks. Not that it went down to empty. It stayed at the halfway mark. For two weeks, and I got paid, and all of a sudden I had money to provide, and I put gas in the tank. But I started thinking, you know, God, if, if, if God can fill up a bin with flour, and God, you know, if the Son of God can die on a cross and three days later be raised up from the dead, it's not that big a deal for him to put flour in a bin. Amen. It's not that if my Lord can be resurrected, if I believe in the resurrection and, and the promise, then it's not that big of a deal for me to believe that a little bit of oil can be in the jar. It's not that big of a, of a problem for me to, to step out in faith and believe that God can put gas in my car. Amen? We start thinking about these things and go, well, that's just an impossibility. That's not a fact. Your fact can't argue with the experience that people have where God provides for them supernaturally. We talked about, you know, where, where God guides, he provides. I like it. I, it's not just a saying, it's a truth. It's not just a saying, it's a truth. There is time and time again where God has guided us somewhere, and he's provided for us to be there. And then there's other times where I knew it wasn't God. And I got there, and I was in lack. We were struggling. We were struggling to survive. You know, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about, like, prosperity gospel here. I'm not talking about if you're in God's will, he's just going to give you mounds of money and he's going to do this. But, but what I'm talking about is this. There are times, you know, where people have to work hard to make ends meet, but they're in the will of God. They're, they're working hard, they're making ends meet, but they're in the will of God. Then there's other times, and you know as well as I know, that there's people who are outside the will of God, and they're struggling in every area and aspect of their lives. They're struggling in every area, every aspect of their lives. And I'll be the first one to say this, that it, until they seek forgiveness, 
until they start living according to the commands of God and start moving in the will of God, their life will be a struggle until it may choke them to death. Their life will be a struggle. It may choke the very life out of them. You see, God provides where he guides. You say, Pastor David, well, I'm, I'm, I'm at this place, and, and man, I am just struggling to, and I'm not talking about struggling to like, make ends meet. I'm, tra- I'm even struggling to survive. I can't do anything without getting assistance from somewhere. There's nothing I can do to make it on my own. You might want to say, Lord, am I where I need to be? Lord, am I in the place you want me to be in? Am I serving you as you've called me to serve you? Am I serving you as you've commanded me to serve you? There's people who will struggle in their lives and not take into account that maybe once they start following the commands of God, then the favor of God comes upon their life and they start moving in that direction. Some people will struggle because they want to live in their own will instead of God's will. I believe that where God guides, he provides. We see here that God not only provides for the widow in food, but also provides a supernatural healing. Go to the next scripture. It says this. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. He died. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and kill my son? She starts kind of, I mean, she kind of gets a little vocal here. Her son has just passed. What have I to do with you, O man of God? I mean, are you just trying to bring up my sin? Are you trying to make me remember my sin and now you've killed my son? And it goes on to say this. And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to God and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy upon the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him. And he was revived. Amen? And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, by this I know that you are a man of God. And the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. The word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. First, God blesses the widow with provisions for him, for her son. Then he brings about a miraculous healing. And this is where God led Elijah. It brought provision for him as well as provision for the widow. Amen? It brought provision for both of them. It's said that uh, he probably stayed with the widow right around two and a half years. About two and a half years, he stays here with the widow. And then it's time for Elijah to move again. Here we pick up with Ahab. We're going to go to chapter 18 of 1 Kings, and we pick up with Ahab again. And it says this, 
And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Think about what God is asking of Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and he had fed them with bread and water. Here we are introduced to a man named Obadiah. Say the name with me, Obadiah. Say it again, Obadiah. Just waking you up a little bit. Obadiah. One more time, Obadiah. I want you to remember this name. Obadiah is working in the house of Ahab. It's been about three, three and a half years since there's been no rain. In fact, according to James, it's been almost exactly three and a half years. There's been no rain. They're searching for food. They're searching for food for the animals, in fact. And Ahab calls up Obadiah. Now, during the three and a half years, you know, it, it, was, it was kind of a funny observation in that when Elijah went to Ahab the first time and said there's not going to be any rain, he could have just said, well, these are the ramblings of a madman. I mean, these are the ramblings of some fanatic, just a, just a madman. I just don't even need to pay attention to it. How many know that he could have just done that and more than likely did do that? I mean, Elijah was unknown at the time. Just the ramblings of a madman. The first month goes by with no rain. Well, that could just be a coincidence. Second month goes by with no rain. Well, okay. Lucky for him. Third, guy, third, third month goes by, no rain. Six months go by, no rain. One year goes by, no rain. Okay, now I'm getting a little upset. A year and a half go by with no rain. My crops are gone. My people are hurting, and now I am angry. He becomes so angry that he starts hunting for Elijah. They're hunting him. They're hunting down the prophets of Yahweh or the prophets of God. And Jezebel and Ahab start killing off all of these prophets. Just killing them off. Obadiah saves a hundred prophets. Now, there is something to understand that these prophets that they're speaking of aren't necessarily uh, people with the prophetic insight that Elijah would have or that Samuel would have. Sometimes they're referred to as prophets in that they were worshipers of Yahweh or worshipers of God that were uh, specialized in prayer and praise. So they were referred to as prophets, but they didn't have uh, the, the, didn't always have the insight for the future and things like that. These were these were people that were believers. These were people that were, that were called. These were people that were specific in prayer and praise. And so these are the people that Obadiah has put into a cave, 50 to a cave, and he saves 100 people. He feeds them. He shelters them. This is what Obadiah does. Go to the next one. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive. 
so that we will not have to kill any livestock. He's basically saying, look, go and look for food. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah meets him. And he recognized him, and he fell on his face, and he said, Is that you, my lord, Elijah? Imagine the scene here. It's been three and a half years since anybody's seen Elijah. Elijah has been hiding by the brook Cherith, and then he goes and he's, he's with the widow. Nobody knows where he's at. And you'll, you'll hear in a minute how they had been hunting Elijah. And every time they go somewhere to find Elijah, they go to the people and say, have you seen him? And they say, no. They say, do you promise? Yeah, we, we swear. We covenant. We have not seen him. And now Obadiah sees Elijah. Obadiah had gone one way in the region to find food. Ahab had gone the other way, and it just so happens that Elijah runs into Obadiah. He runs into him, and he says this. Is that you, my lord, Elijah? And Elijah answers him saying this. It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. For three and a half years, people have been hunting him down. Now, go and tell your master Elijah is here. And I love Obadiah because I, he just gives a very real response. He gives a very real response. If, if, you know, if we're looking at what Obadiah, his response is so real here. His response is just the, probably the most real in Scripture here. You can almost picture his mouth dropping open. You can almost picture Elijah saying, go tell your master Elijah is here. And Obadiah is like, are you kidding me? Go next slide. It says this. And he said, have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? I mean, Elijah, are you crazy? That's what he's saying. He said, what did I do to you, man? What did I do to you? Have I sinned somehow? Have I, have I crossed you? Why are you, sending, why are you delivering your servant to the hand of Ahab? He's going to kill me. And then he says this. As the Lord your God lives, and this is where Obadiah has to like make his case to Elijah. Elijah, this is not a good idea. He says this, as the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom of the nation when they could not find you. Now you say, go and tell your master that Elijah's here. And I know it's just going to come to pass that as soon as I am gone from you, that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. But when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he'll kill me. He's trying to say to Elijah, hey, Elijah, there's a good reason why you shouldn't do this. There's a good reason why I should not be the guy to go and tell Ahab. I'm going to go tell him and you're going to be gone. And I'm going to bring him here and you're not going to be here and he's going to kill me. What did I do to you, man? And then he says this, I like this. But your servant has feared the Lord from my youth. I mean, Elijah, I've been a good guy. Have, was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you're saying, go and tell your master Elijah is here? Man, don't you know the good things I have done for you? I mean, we're brothers. Don't make me do it. I mean, that's essentially what he's like, Elijah, please, if there's another way, could you please figure it out? 
And Elijah says this. As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. He has to give Obadiah some assurances now. He has to calm him down a little bit. Obadiah has given a very real answer. Are you freaking kidding me? You want me to go to the king? Are you kidding me? He's going to kill me. Elijah says, Obadiah, settle down. Relax. Let me assure you a little bit. Surely I'll, I'll, go to the, I'll be presented today. And Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And then it happened. So imagine the scene here. Ahab is going to meet Elijah. It's the showdown. Right? It's been three and a half years. There's been a lot of anger in his heart. There's been a lot of anger going on. This is the prophet that spoke about no rain, and now my crops have died, and my people are dying, and I can't find food for my horses and my mules, and what am I doing here? And it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him these words, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? What a jerk. Ahab was a jerk, man. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Like he didn't have anything to do with the trouble that Israel had. Like he had nothing to do with it. Oh, it was all the messenger of God's problem. It's not my problem. That's what people will do. See, they'll blame the messenger of God rather than fix the stuff in their own life. Come on. They'll blame the messenger of God. Well, you know, is that you, O troubler of Esterville? Come on. Is that you, O troubler of Emmett County? And I, I love Elijah's response. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you followed Baals. Don't you dare try to blame me. I mean, Ahab's a jerk. So is that you, O troubler of Israel? And Elijah's like, no, dude, wasn't my fault. You're the one that hasn't followed the commands of the Lord. You're the one that's followed the Baals. You're the one that's been serving idols. You're the one that's been following your own will instead of God's will. You're the one that's been doing everything God told you not to do. And then you blame me when when trouble comes upon your house? No, I don't think so. That's what Elijah's saying here. I don't think so. I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you forsook the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. I like this. (laughs) The moral courage of Elijah here is astounding. The moral courage of Elijah is astounding. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt whose side he's on. I mean, he knows he's on the winning side. He had courage. How many ever had just supernatural courage, supernatural faith, where you just know whose side you're on? There was a, a funny story once told by another preacher, and he was talking about how he was a little kid and he was a little rascal. How many know any little rascals? Just a little rascal. And as, if I remember the story right, uh, there was a neighbor that they used to pick on. Just a mean old grouch. Used to pick on him. And they used to go and like kind of throw rocks at him. Not, not a good thing, but he's a rascal, you know, he's a kid, it's what they did. He'd go and kind of throw rocks at him, and, and the guy would start running after them, and they, and they would start running away. 
And then, and then the guy would go back and they kind of throw another rock at him, get him to chase him, and then they chase it, get away again. One day, th- this guy just got crazy mad and started going and, and, and going, I mean, like going after them, really going after them. And he said, I was there and, and this guy was grabbing my brother and he was trying to grab me. And all of a sudden, we heard the click of a shotgun. And it was my mother. pointed that gun straight at that man and said, don't you dare touch my boys. He said, all of a sudden, I got some courage. Oh, boy. He said, I got some faith there. He said, yeah, that's right. Don't touch me. Little rascal. There's some times where you just know whose side you're on. There's some times where you know you're on the winning side. You know you can get away from that shotgun. Right? Sometimes you just know that you're on the winning side. And that's what Elijah is saying here. I'm on the winning. I, I, have, I have moral courage. It's supernatural courage. My question is this. Do you know whose side you're on this morning? Do you know whose side you're on? Do you know that you're on the side of the Alpha and the Omega? Do you know that you're on the side of the beginning and the end? Do you know that you're on the side of not just the, 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 the crucified king, but the resurrected king? Do you know whose side you're on this morning? Because a lot of times it seems like we're just bowing down to the culture rather than standing up with moral courage because sometimes we don't know whose side we're on. Elijah knew whose side he was on. I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. You've ignored the commandments of God and you've been serving the Baals. Remember, the Baal was the idols. And then he says this. Now, therefore, this is Elijah saying this to Ahab. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Here's what he says to him. Hey, here's what I need you to do, Ahab. You got problems with me, I got problems with you. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to gather all the prophets of Baal. I need you to gather all the prophets of Asherah. I need you to, to, to gather these prophets and then gather all of Israel. And meet me at this place, the mount called Carmel. Now, Ahab could have killed him. Ahab could have killed him very easily. He's the king of Israel. He could have just said, Elijah, forget you, man. You're dead. Kill him. And he would have been dead. But Ahab had an ego. Ahab had an ego. He had pride. He had an ego. It's been three and a half years with no water. My crops are dead. My people are dead. I'm going to see some justice come to this sucker. So fine. You want to meet up? Let's meet up. He gathers all the prophets of Baal. He gathers all of Israel. Say, okay. You want, to, you want to do this? This is my chance for revenge. This is my chance for the showdown. You want to throw down? You want to throw? I'm ready. So we see exactly what happens in this epic showdown next week. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. 
Lord, we thank you for the testimonies this morning. Lord, we thank you for the praise and worship this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come and just magnify you and glorify you. Lord, I pray that as we read and learn about Elijah, we read about this moral courage, we read about how, how you've provided time and time again, Lord, that we would just be encouraged by these things, that God uses unknowns. Lord, I thank you that you use unknowns. I thank you that you use nobodies, that you use unqualified, that you use those who don't quite feel perfect, that don't feel like they're enough. Lord, thank you that through you we are more than enough. Lord, that I do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank you, Lord, for giving us strength this morning. Thank you for giving us strength to, to go to our jobs and go to our schools and, and minister to our friends and encourage our loved ones. Lord, that we encourage them with the word of God. Lord, I pray over each person here. Lord, I pray that this week you would bless them. Lord, that you would keep them. Lord, that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And God, I pray that you would give them rest. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.